0: That's a good time. Well, how y'all doing? Good. All right. September. It's sunny. Uh, yesterday, uh, my family, my my wife, uh, got us all together. My son wasn't working yesterday, so we went up to Bogus Basin. Um, some of you don't know they actually are open in the summers, and they have kind of activities you can do there. Um, they have a little place you can tube on a little hill with. It's a long story. It's like kind of a plastic runway, and then a, anyway, it's pretty good. Then they have this kind of coaster. Have you ridden the coaster up there, the mountain coaster? Um, you need to try it. It's pretty exciting, um, although there is a way you can probably die on it if you want to. Um, so uh, basically there's basically this little, this little um, like a, a track, and then the, the sled's attached, attached to the track, and you kind of seatbelt yourself in, but then you have like um, a break or not. And so, um, but the reality is you're like, they're like, Several folks in the track at one time, so they say, "Don't get too close," which is pretty good. That you're going really fast. So, my, of course, my son went down there and had no breaks whatsoever so the whole way down, and took my daughter. But no one died um, that we know of. <laughs> uh, but it's a great time. You should do it. <laughs> uh, just make sure you're tied in and you have prayed really well ahead of time, and you're good. So, um, last week, you recall, we were preached out of Luke 15. As I said um, last week, if you can't preach Luke 15, you should just like find a new profession. Well, um, this text today is probably, ironically, the hardest awkward text in the Bible. There are several awkward ones. This is in the top 10 of the awkward, hard text. We had that one a couple of weeks ago when Jesus says to hate your father and mother. That was weird. But today, this parable he gives is odd. So most preachers just skip it. But I thought, come on, we can handle it, can't we? Um, it's a passage, you read it, and you go, well, like, what's the goal here? Um, But the good news, this passage today is not for everyone. It's only for those who have had money or don't have money. So if you don't fall in that category, you're fine. I can tell a third of you are still waking up. It's okay. How many of you like money? Raise your hand. Okay, all right. Uh, How many of you would like money if you had it? (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Um, Now, We've all, because the cable has these great stories, all these stories that come out of folks who win the lottery, right, and it ruins their life. But I bet some of you would be like, yeah, give me a shot. I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) Give me a couple million. We'll see how it goes. I'll go hide out some corner in Alaska, try to find me there. Um, But this is a a sermon a little about money, but it's also kind of what money symbolizes. Um, I have the privilege every now and then, I'm not a professional counselor, I do some premarital counseling uh, along the way. And one of the things we talk about with those young couples is about money. We ask them how their, their families they grew up and did with money. How are they with money? Um, and that all some, some really interesting responses. Some of them had talked about this before, but some had not. So we have the question, well, how much money can you spend if we have to get your spouse's permission? That's always an interesting conversation especially if they're not on the same page. And they ask the question, who's better at money? That always gets a fun conversation, too, about, uh, some of them know it well, and some of them are like, the worst is when neither one of them are good with money, then we have to have extra problems there when no one's good with money. So, But what does um, money represent for us? I mean, money is kind of just this thing we kind of hand people things or swipe things or whatever. Um, but in some regard, money can also represent kind of places of security and trust. We know that story in the Bible of uh, you put all three of the Gospels together, the rich young ruler. We hear this story of he comes, he's a really good kid. He was doing well. And he says, what do you lack? And for this guy, he said, one more thing. You need to sell all you have and give to the poor. And the guy couldn't do it and walked away very sad. And Jesus said, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, I don't know all of your bank statements, but being in North America, compared to many places around the world, things are, for most of us, probably okay. Um, But here's the issue. The danger is this. For folks who have money, the question is, is God your source of security and trust, or is your money? Um, And again, it's interesting, for those who have gone through seasons, perhaps, and you haven't had money and had to rely on others, Um, you realize um, that um, God is a place of comfort and strength and all things are gone. Um, But oftentimes, I think many good Christians, myself included, I put my trust in God, but I'm also glad to have a job. Having a job is a good thing, right? But if I were to push myself, do I really? Where is my trust and faith barometer? Is it more in God or in the, the income I get? It's a hard question for us. So again, you might recall that we had some money issues along the way. For those of you who remember the kind of the whole sweep in Luke, where even the last probably seven eight weeks, is Jesus did some miracles in his hometown, but is now on his way towards Jerusalem, and it's not going to be fun. But on the way, he's teaching and training along the way. And the question is, so do you want to be a disciple? So we had issues of money a long back when that guy who had the, the kind of the windfall had the lottery, and he was going to store it all up for himself, and he died. That was awkward. And last week, again, he had two interesting issues with money. You had that um, kind of the the poor woman who had lost a coin and searched everywhere to find it. Then the second story was that prodigal son. Remember, he had his father's half of his inheritance and blew it all. Um, And so money's kind of been trickling around this notion. And so what's the relationship with money um, and discipleship? And our story today is an interesting one about how we deal with money in this, in this, um, uh, this, this idea of discipleship. So let's read it. It's going to be awkward, but it's in the Bible, so we have to read it. So I invite you to stand as you're able. We're in Luke 16, uh, 1 through 13. And hear these words. And if you know what it means by the time we're done, tell me because I don't have a clue. We'll give it a shot. So Luke 16, here we go. Jesus also said to his disciples, A certain rich man heard, that his household manager was wasting his estate. He called the manager in and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give me a report of your administration because you can no longer serve as my manager. The household manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is firing me as his manager? I'm not strong enough to dig and too proud to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from my managing position, people will welcome me into their house one by one. The manager sent for each person who owed him owed his master money. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager said to him, take your contract, sit down quickly and write 450 gallons. And the manager said to another, how much do you owe? He said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. He said, take your contract and write 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. People who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than the people who belong to the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much. And the one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. If you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, who will give you your own? No household servant can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right. So like, what are we supposed to do? Sorry, I think I'm getting kind of a cold, so, but maybe not. I don't know. I'll, we'll see. Usually, my philosophy with sickness is just ignore it and it goes away. That'll be great until you die, I guess, but um, it can work for a while. Um, Is Jesus telling us to be a true disciple? We shouldn't be a cheater and a swindler. What's going on in this parable? What are we, like, supposed to do with this? Um, He's known as the shrewd manager. Um, so let's give some context. Um, we have the boss, then we have, for our purposes today, we have Bob, the manager. right? So here's the thing that's happening. Um, the big boss hears that Bob is not doing a good job. And as is the case, he says, this is not good, you're going to be fired. Now I tell you, uh, this can be rhetorical. Um, have any of you ever had to fire somebody? Um, that is not fun. But in this case for Bob, if his, this manager, I'm sorry, in the case is for the boss, if Bob is not managing it well, this is going to be bad news for everybody. And so sometimes he had to let someone go. I will say this too, this is now kind of a whole side sermon. Um, I, I'm sure some of you have maybe also experienced losing a job. And what's important to hear in this text Um, Like, for those of you who've lost a job, my dad had some awkward things happen and basically built a family business up to be really profitable. And then the kids wanted back in. And so they put my dad out. Um, Some of you, for lots of reasons, have lost a job. And it's disheartening. It's not only a matter of a loss of wealth and security. My mom wasn't working at the time outside of the house. Wasn't bringing income. And so... uh, to lose a job is not just about, well, in this text, the, the Greek language is clear. This is not simply like, i got to find another one. His whole livelihood is being lost and trans- is being gone. There's great uncertainty um, about what's going to happen next. And so the despair that some of you have felt when you lost a job is certainly here in this context here. It is earth-shattering. All of a sudden, especially if your faith and trust are in your job, to have that go away identity there, it's very unnerving. What we know is this about Bob. He wasn't good at his job, he was squandering his wealth. And so, as you read this text, it doesn't feel like Bob is being treated unfairly. In some regard, Bob's not good, and so Bob needs to go. Um, but then, for Bob, he starts getting afraid. And this interesting language he uses I can't dig and in true, proud to beg. So do we know, does Bob maybe have some kind of physical um, challenge that he can't do certain kinds of work? Perhaps the work he was doing in accounting is all he could do. Maybe physical labor is impossible for him. We don't know. Being too proud to beg is the kind of thing Bob maybe could do, but doesn't want to do it, right? And so Bob also, is interesting this, Bob is too ashamed to ask Donald for help but not to his shame, to swindled his boss out of money, right? So, um, but the question the text is asking is this about Bob. Should we have compassion for Bob? Should we feel sorry for him? Should we maybe welcome him in? Remember, what's the previous text we had last week that we kind of talked about at the very end with a prodigal son? In some regard, that young prodigal son was no different here than Bob. The prodigal son aggressively went out and lost half his father's estate. And yet, what happens? He comes home and he is welcomed by the father. They have a big party to celebrate. Well, how should we treat Bob this week? You see, in some regard, many of us Christians, myself included, think about hard work and justice. If you do wrong, you should be punished. And that's not untrue. But, I notice myself, I'm like the older brother in that prodigal son, and I want Bob to suffer. And Jesus is saying to us, don't forget that prodigal son story where he went out to the older brother and said, why aren't you celebrating with us? So some, some interesting things Jesus is doing here about asking us, again, we don't think Bob's being treated unfairly, but would we welcome Bob in? Would we show him hospitality? If he had lost his job, would he be, what would we care for Bob until he can get his feet back on the ground? Compassion here does not condone Bob's actions, but what we see is that Bob is desperate. Um, I have the privilege every now and then to take my students every other year to uh, Europe to kind of expose them to, uh, we often go to London and Paris and Germany. Uh, one of the fun things we do is we take them to uh, play, See to, say, to see Les Miserables. Have any of you seen that play or heard Victor Hugo's book? It's great. It is thick theologically. Lots going on about evil and pain and suffering and guilt. Jean Valjean is kind of the main character. And basically it starts out that he has to steal a loaf of bread because his family is hungry. And it's interesting, while he is guilty, you think about some people commit crimes Um is it a crime to steal bread if you're, if you're hungry if your family is is, is hungry? We could have a side sermon about that, couldn't we? How do you have a culture where folks are starving and whose fault is that? Now we've got to be careful. But the point is this some of us are very quick about harsh right and wrong. And we have to have laws for sure. But it's interesting, this text is wanting us to know: should we have any compassion when we welcome Bob in? But Bob takes matters in his own hands. He realizes, this is not going to be good. I'm not going to beg. I've got to secure my future, right? So what does he do? He brings back the folks. Now, again, we already know he was bad administration, so we don't know if he's been doing this for a while or just, like, inept. We're not sure. But he brings the folks in, brings out the Excel spreadsheet, and says, what do you owe? And folks are getting half off and 20% off. It's like Satan. What's curious, of course, is those folks we were very complicit and didn't say no to this whole scheme, right? So now it's not only Bob who's doing this stuff, but now these folks, these other creditors are like, this sounds good to me. It's amazing when you get a good deal at whose expense. Um, and good deals aren't bad. My mother had a philosophy in shopping. This is totally ADHD. The, the news my mother would come home with, to to my, to my, my dad's name was Dave. Dave, you'd be amazed how much money I saved today which is kind of part of the party, I think, when you go shopping. But this guy uh, thought, I need to secure my future because when my job is out, if I cut them a deal, maybe they'll be nice to me, right? When I'm, when, I'm, when I'm out, when I'm broke, when I'm poor, I have nothing. So here's what we also know about this guy. We also know that when he loses his job and has no income, he has probably no one to go to. So he has to kind of buy these friends to help him out, right? Then we have the manager. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, the owner, the boss, shows up. And this is where the text gets weird. You'd think the guy is going to show up and says, and then the, the verse would say, and the owner shows up, and he's angry and hostile, and Jesus says, so for all of you, when you act this way, you'll be thrown out in the darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's how this parable should go. But that's not how it goes. The boss says, I'm impressed at what you've done. You've acted shrewdly. You've crafted a plan. Now, what's weird this whole story is, like, does he then go back and, like, get the new money back of the money they just, like, stole from him? I don't know. But then that all goes away, and then the text says... The people, this is my paraphrase of it, the people of this world are more faithful and honest to their gospel than you Christian people are to your gospel. You are, the people of this world are more faithful to their gospel of survival of the fittest, me first. And they're tenacious and they are shrewd and they'll do whatever it takes to survive. Some of you, I'm sure those aren't you, but experienced people for whom when so desperate, when push comes to shove, they do things and they make it happen. And he's saying Christians in regard to the kingdom of God are less passionate, are less excited to use God's resources for the coming of the kingdom. Now, we're not offering you a method for how to do the kingdom, We don't build the kingdom by lying and cheating and stealing from others. So that's where the moralism goes away. But he's saying that kind of foresight, that passion, that tenacity to survive at all costs, are we that passionate for the coming of the kingdom? Are we that passionate to use God's resources to help help forgive debts? Are we that passionate to help folks who are hurting and lost to welcome them into the poor? But we have to confess, this is this awkward text that asks this question. How is it the world is better at its gospel of me first, survival of the fittest, than those who are Christians are at theirs? It's a challenging, hard thing. But it's hard to know what we're celebrating here. Um, so the boss is, He praises Bob for his foresight and planning ahead, even though he's being dishonest. What we also don't know about this boss is if this boss became wealthy by being dishonest. There's a lot we don't know here. But then verse 9, we'll say it again. And we think this is Jesus talking here. For the children of this age are more shrewd and wise in dealing with their own generation than the children of light. And again, he's not inviting us to go and cheat and scam others, but he's inviting us to with passion, to act with creativity. How are we helping to love those in our world? Are we that creative, that tenacious, that you know, when desperation comes, you'll do whatever it takes. Well, I'll do whatever it takes for me, but am I willing to do whatever it takes for the gospel? And again, be careful, we're not offering the moralism here. We don't do the lying and cheating and stealing for the gospel, but are we that passionate? Are we that consistent and faithful? But this text also is going back to that prodigal son text earlier. If Bob had come to you, would you welcome him in? You see, if Bob had a community of love and support, he wouldn't have had to go and, and swindle and cheat the, the bosses with the creditors, that whole thing. I don't know about you in this room. Um, I don't know if some of you had times where you actually have been without home or homeless. I imagine it's possible. Um, and there's so many tragic things about that. Um, one of the blessings I've been given, and um, perhaps many of you, is that I bet I could find 50 people who would welcome me into their house and live with them if I had to. Many of them would be right here. If I was homeless, you'd say, come on, Brent, come on over. I know you would. Part of the blessing of the church is that we welcome folks in. And the invitation here is we welcome folks, especially who are on the margins, even when they don't deserve it. Again, the prodigal son story. That younger son was not good. He did not deserve the party he received. But God's grace and God's bounty was bigger. So what do we do with this text? This is awkward and weird. Um, what can we like, go forward with? Um, I think there are, there are three or four things I want to highlight and then help me because this is, is a hard text. First, it's interesting how quick I was to judge Bob and how wrong he was and how righteous I am. I've noticed, um, and I'm not sure where this comes from, but I've noticed the more I'm aware of my deep need of God's grace and forgiveness in my life, the more I'm able to welcome other sinners in as well. You see, what that older brother last week who's stuck in the fields failed to realize is how desperately he needed the grace of that father as well. I think sometimes I think what I have, I've earned and I've deserved it. Therefore, when I see other cheaters out there. I say, to the hell you go, right? You deserve it. Because what I have, I deserve this. This is mine. And yet all of us, God wants to say, oh, really? One of the practices we give, which is very important, is our tithes and offerings. We we don't do that um, because God needs your money. We do it because there's a danger. If you think all your money is yours, you are in trouble. If you put all your faith and your confidence and your hope in that bank account or that house or that car, remember about nine weeks ago, have it all set up, and then you die. And then what do you have? It's amazing to me how quick I am to judge Bob on how bad he was and how righteous I am. Now, we're not saying what Bob was doing was good. But it's amazing how we are tempted to not want to give Bob grace. We don't want to condone his actions, but do you welcome him in. Because again, at some level, all of us are sinners in need of God's grace but it's amazing how much better we feel we are than those people, whoever they are, right? In the world that some of you experience this, the world can be cutthroat. It can be harsh. The awkward invitation here is the church as, I think, desperate to love and care for the people of the world, as shrewd as that was dishonest Bob was. What's that verse saying? The children of this earth, the children of this way are more, are better shrewd, are better than children of the light. I think what I've noticed that too often, I care about the gospel, but not as much as I care as I was looking for my lost job. How desperate are we to engage in this? And then another option is I think to learn is this. How are we to love the world without the expectation of getting anything in return? Remember, one of the lessons we've had in the last month is who you're going to eat with, right? Jesus said awkwardly, right? You shouldn't eat with your mother, or your father, or your brothers, or your sisters, or the rich people, but eat with the, the poor, the hurting, the lame, the crippled. You see, this invitation is to say, would Bob find a place to live and eat in Mountain Home? Would there be folks who'd welcome Bob in? Would he be well we care for Bob? Even though some things Bob did were not good. Again, we're not condoning Bob's actions. But would Bob feel welcome? You see, Bob was so desperate, he's willing to do anything to ever take. Then the last, these little weird sayings at the end. Whoever is faithful with little will be given great. If you're unfaithful with little, you'll be unfaithful with much. I think the invitation is this. Um, and remember, I think in some regard, when we see all that we have, I would say is God's. The question is, what are we? This is kind of a stewardship issue. What are you and I doing with what God has given us? And what it means to be faithful is not to hoard. One of the other parables Jesus tells about the, the guys, the three guys given talents. Um, one guy was given one talent, one was given two, I think. You uh, we'll check it later. One was five. And two of them went out and worked it. They weren't done in fear, they, they activated that work of God's, of the, the, the managers to double it. But one guy was scared, and so he didn't do anything with it and just buried it and did nothing. And Jesus said, that's not good. The question is, all of you have been given the resources of the kingdom. What are you doing with God's stuff? And by the way, your life is the best resource you have. Is your life being a blessing towards others? Or is the life about me and my safety and security and if I have some extra space and I'm be a little charitable. The invitation is to say, "What are we doing?" Um, and I've experienced this. I'll say this: um, to be faithful with little, God will then give you faithfulness with much. But the key is reminding ourselves, all it is God's, and our identity. Sometimes, for me, my temptation is to think my identity is in God's blessings and not in God itself. That's the, that's a challenge for us there. Finally, I think the question is this um, How are we to engage in the kingdom in our world? How are we to spend our time? Are we as desperate as Bob was as desperate as Bob was to survive? Are we that desperate to see God's kingdom come more fully in our lives and in those next to us? God wants us to have fun, and we should have fun. Um, But I think if I am honest, my temptation is too often focused on Brent and Brent's kingdom and making sure Brent's kingdom is all set up as opposed to how are my neighbors? Who are the Bobs in my world? Who are those whose families are broken or hurting or lost? Am I engaged in a space that I know who they are and can welcome them in? Here's what I've learned. To really live a life of joy. It's not about making sure my house is in order and being so focused on myself that I have no space for anybody else. But I've noticed the greatest joy in my life is that I'm able to partner with you all and serve and care for others. It isn't denying that you need to take care of yourself. Right? Be very careful. We're not saying to ignore yourself. That'd be bad. But at some level, part of what it means to love yourself is how are you caring and loving others in your world. Bob was desperate to survive. Are we that desperate to see the kingdom of God come that we're willing to focus on those in the margins? That one, come on up, and let's pray. God, thanks so much. This text today is awkward. And we're not entirely sure we're listening well, but keep helping. Help us to listen well. Gracious God, I think this parable Jesus told is the invitation, and number one, to remind ourselves how quickly we're, we're too focused on judging others. However, so easy to quick and condemn these bobs of our world, even though Bob didn't do well. Do we have space to love those in our world who have not done well, but you invite us to welcome them in, who have no possibility of blessing us economically, but yet we can see your face in them? Lord, I pray as we go in our lives this week, we'd ask ourselves, where do we place our security? Is our security in thinking about all the things that we've earned and we've deserved? Or, Lord, do we recognize that everything we have, jobs, family, friends, houses, cars, relationships, it's all from your blessing. And while you want us to be diligent, faithful workers, help us never to be having a spirit of entitlement. But also, Lord, as we engage the bobs of this world who didn't do well, Help us through our attitudes for some of us, Lord, who are so quick to condemn and judge Bob, who did wrongly, and to cast him out, to let him find it for himself and to suffer on his own. But Lord, you keep welcoming us, and especially the Bobs, to come home, to be loved and cared for. So Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, may we be as shrewd and as passionate for your kingdom to come as the world is for its own self-survival. But Lord, our methods matter. Help us to do so without fear, but with courage and love and boldness. That indeed, Lord, your kingdom can come more fully. For Lord, it's true we cannot ter- serve two masters. We'll worship something. Lord, let us look inside. Let us not be worshiping the safety and security of our possessions, but let us see there's only true safety and security. When we recognize that all we have is yours. And therefore, we can live as people of compassion, can live as people people of, of generosity, to love and care for those in our world. Lord, thanks for being generous to us. May you be generous to others, in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. That is the invitation, that Christ be your cornerstone. So if it's not Christ, what is it? The invitation is that whether there is plenty in your life or little, Christ can be our foundation for all things in all times. See the benediction. May the grace and the power of God go with you so you can love and care for your world. Go in God's grace and make Christ again your cornerstone today. Amen.